1,000 better, 1, better stories. You're listening to 1,000 Better Stories, the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network's podcast sharing stories of community-led climate action in Scotland to help us all imagine the better and fairer future and transform what we think is possible. Welcome to our Everyday Changemakers series. We blethers with everyday people taking climate action in their communities. Hi, it's Kashka, your story weaver. Today we wrap up our summer's day journey around a few of the member community gardens in the Dundee network, which I visited during their open day in June. You can listen to my interviews with Catherine from Bonnie Dundee, Rowan from Opportunity Growing Spaces, Gisela from Victoria and Harold from Fruit Bowls Gardens in the last four episodes of Everyday Changemakers series. My final stop today is at the Lockheed's Wee Forest, where I chat to Hollis. After leaving Harold at the Fruit Bowls Community Garden, I walked my flat-tired bike along the Ancrum Road and turned into a long, walled-in path to reach a quiet green strip of grass and mature trees at the back of the local allotments. I immediately spotted the brand-new fence surrounding a patch of baby tree saplings with a path leading to the picnic bench in its grassy centre. Hollis was waiting for me at a table full of treasures, ID keys for bugs and beasties, art supplies and handmade origami birds. I'm Hollis. I had been a volunteer at the Botanic Gardens and then I worked there for a while, but now I'm a volunteer again, but outside the Botanic Gardens, but still associated. So I've been doing a sort of public engagement role for the past year or so with the wee forests. For most of last year, I was trying to get people on board to come to the planting days and sort of trying to find out where we could put this. So that usually involves emailing a bunch of schools and counsellors and then emailing them again if they haven't responded in a while and spending a lot of time looking at satellite images on Google Maps and going, we could put one there if nobody owns it. It's, it's a tiny space. Can you tell me more about where we're sitting and what we're looking at here? So we got this planted in Lochie at the end of March um, and that was exciting because the schools were really keen and we had three different schools coming along and it was quite a hectic day but um, the kids seemed to really enjoy it and... They usually get quite excited if they find different kinds of bugs, which is good because that's part of the citizen science that we do. So we do like it when people get excited about bugs so we can put them down in a survey and then add that onto the tiny forest portal with Earthwatch. And then that data gets used by a nationwide network of scientists to monitor biodiversity. So hopefully we can do more of that over the summer. It's... On the slope that was suggested to me by one of the local council workers because um, when it rains there's a lot of water runoff that gets puddled in people's back gardens down at the bottom of the slope Um, and it had been pointed out to me that there's a lot of uh, willow trees within the population of mature trees surrounding here and they're quite a good indicator of how much water there is in the soil. It was a good idea to put something like this in here because the more trees you plant that can sort of add on to efforts to control flooding issues in urban areas 
we're hoping to maybe at some point get a pond put in, which kind of sounds counterproductive, but it's sort of like a sink that water can run into. Can you tell me a little bit more about what trees we're looking at and how they planted? Um, the wee forest is, this particular one is about 350 to 400 metres square. We've got 600 trees in here. A lot of it's oaks and birches and hazels and field maples and that kind of thing. Um, they're planted using the Miyawaki method, so that's three trees planted per square metre, and the idea is that they're so closely planted together that it encourages competition between each species so that it grows up a lot faster, so you have a greater return on increased biodiversity in a shorter amount of time. So by this time next year, even though we've just planted these ones and they're only about maybe just over a metre tall, um, there'll be about maybe two metres by next year, um, depending on how much water they get, uh, depending on the type of soil. There's a lot of clay around here, so I'm hoping for the best. <laughs> yeah, they're very, very densely planted, so it's very unusual to see that. Can you tell me a little bit more how you ended up getting involved in this kind of project? I did my first year of university at art school, and I was like, oh no, this is terrible, I should have done science instead. I figured that if I was mostly motivated by plants and animals and environments in a creative way, then maybe learning more about it would feed into that creativity. Um, because I think if you want to be creative with something, then the more you know about it, the more information and inspiration you have. Um, and then it sort of got out of control uh, and now I just keep doing science. I, I did my undergrad in environmental science. After that, I'd started volunteering at the Botanic Gardens in a sort of weeding and digging holes kind of way. Um, and then, because I had previously been a student with the university, they have this um, student and graduate temp scheme, and the botanics had an opening for that. And because I had been writing a sort of proposal for this idea that the botanics had for potentially growing food and then trading with local businesses. I had thought maybe um, sort of native edible wild plants might fit into that somehow and I think that's how we'd sort of naturally evolved into planting native trees or at least on my end. I went with the flow, and now we're here. I don't know if I can really pinpoint exactly what happened. But I saw you drawing. I'm sure you will still keep keep your hand in. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of trying out some different creative things now. Um, with the wee forest, sometimes we'll have creative sessions, like nature sketching or um, one of our volunteers has been really great and he's in the Dundee Amps Network so um, he's been doing zine workshops surrounding the wee forest and that's very exciting because um, I think there's a lot of overlap between art and science because they're basically just observing things and then writing things down afterwards it's basically just sort of two sides of the same coin I think If you were a native tree which species would you be? What kind of tree would you be? And why? Probably a willow tree, just because they have 
high water requirements and I just drink a lot of water, it's actually not very practical at all. Um, but I think anything that's situated next to a river would probably work out quite well for me. So when I say we forest, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Right now I'm mostly thinking about the fungus underneath it, but that might just be me. (laughs) Tell me more. Just because some of the questions surrounding we forest being planted are sort of on the fungal side because a lot of people think that... um, to sequester carbon from the atmosphere it has to be about trees you have to plant as many trees as possible but there's uh, a lot of potential for fungal networks to contribute to that maybe more so than trees Um, so a lot of soil ecologists and mycologists are a little bit skeptical of focusing entirely on trees because I think maybe they're the sort of botanical version of pandas to wildlife conservation like everybody likes the pandas but they always forget about like newts and salamanders and things like that and um, midges yeah well bats like them and we like bats so. exactly yeah so that's really interesting um so you you think about sequestering carbon and that kind of aspect of this work as well yeah um, one of the citizen science projects that um we forest does is measuring the amount of carbon that trees uptake um, mostly just by measuring how big they get which is very tree oriented but I think there's more that you could do with um, soil assessments but that's not in the tiny forest specific itinerary so if I want to get really into that I'm just going to have to take my own samples I guess So we forest is sort of like a um Scottish translation of tiny forest. I've sort of heard about it, but I'm sure that many people haven't. So if you were to explain what that is um, from scratch to somebody that's just walked past you and never heard about it, what would you say? Um, Well, it's based on the tree planting method popularised by Akira Miyawaki, the botanist in Japan. Um, And then Shibendu Sharma is the guy who interned under Miyawaki and then brought it over to Holland and then throughout Europe and now he runs this um, a-forest company which does sort of a similar thing but in a sort of corporate landscape Um, so then Earthwatch has taken that up and in the UK it's a national network of over 190 forests now, I think they're approaching 200 Um, so they each have to be planted in a specific way. So you have to process the ground down to a metre. Um, you have to have native trees only. Um, three to a metre. And it has to be a minimum of 200 metres square. But then some of the more expansive ones, like there's no limit on the size that you can go up to. It just has mm. to be a minimum of 200 metres. So that's why you'll hear a lot of people saying that it's tennis court size. So what's the thinking behind it? It depends on who you ask, I think. Personally, I think there is um, a focus on sort of nature education and biodiversity awareness 
and sort of encouraging people to get out in nature. I think other people would focus more on the health and well-being aspects of it because originally the tiny forests were supposed to be partnered with a GP practice and we've got two that were partnered with the older ones. Um, maybe not so much luck on the two newer ones. But we're always open for any green health ideas and activities. Um, walking groups or somebody suggesting yoga or I don't know I think you could get something really creative in that regard but you were talking about biodiversity and flood protection and all that kind of stuff as well yeah uh, it's a bit of a jack of all trades kind of situation I think um, yeah. so putting lots of pressure on this tennis court size uh, space with lots and lots of baby trees they'll grow up fast it'll be fine where in the world are you happiest I think maybe it depends on the time of day probably mostly in a field with um, a lot of trees nearby but only if it's at like 9pm in the summer or if it's like 11pm in the winter but if it's a really clear night and you have like a full moon it just sort of transforms the landscape with lighting, I think. It's a completely different experience than a daytime walk, I think. What's been the biggest challenge in this project, and have you managed to overcome it, and how, if you can share it with people? Personally, I think maybe sort of advertising or making people aware that it's here, because um, I know that some of the spots are a little hard to find, some of them are kind of tucked away, which I suppose helps uh, protect them from maybe uh, people who are a little bit too bored. Um, so it's probably better for the trees that way, but also not great if you're trying to host an event. I don't know. Maybe I just need to get bigger signs. Or you did suggest the three words that yeah, might help. Yeah. And I think it's it's going to help being on the map alongside all the other gardens Yeah. as part of this event, even though people might have not come here, but they would have heard about wee forests and they're probably quite curious what they are. The last thing I ask everybody, it's sort of like imagination exercise. We can think about the wee forest project, what these places would look like in 10 years' time if everything went uh, perfectly and everybody did everything that they are supposed to do and then share one memory from that future with our listeners um, well in 10 years time it's going to be really densely grown it's going to look a bit more like a thicket so when we're sitting here at this bench in about 10 years a lot of these trees will be sort of um, looming over the top and it'll be quite sheltered and quiet except for the birds I mean they're already quite loud but I think they're going to get louder um, so it's going to I imagine look a bit like a sort of leafy cavern if that's a way to describe it um, yeah I imagine that we kind of maybe make people feel like a sort of bunny rabbit going through the undergrowth that's a nice way of thinking about it what about the we forest network at the larger scale because you obviously plugged into Earthwatch project and all that. What do you think 
it might achieve by then. Um, well, there's definitely a lot of research going into it. Scientists are interested in seeing how it's going to um, work out both in terms of biodiversity and uh, how it contributes to health and well-being in cities, um, how it adds on to people's access to green spaces and the impacts from that. So there's definitely going to be a lot of reading to be doing over the next few years. So do you see yourself as a wee forest expert by then? Um, I don't know about expert, but I'll definitely have things to say. Great. That sounds really good. Unless you want to add anything? We like the bugs here. We do not squish the bugs here. Um, They are our friends. Uh, I think maybe the work that we've been doing with schools coming out um, and kids flip up the biodiversity tiles and they get very excited about that, I think that kind of helps maybe instill in people the idea that not all bugs are out to get you. I know some people are a little um, scared, but it's fine. Yes, very much needed, because yeah, kids are sort of cooped up in, inside, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've got just handfuls of centipedes to hand them. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking time to talk to me. Yeah, well, thanks for visiting. After I left Hollis and his wee forest, I plodded back into town retracing my steps on foot and dragging my bike along with me. I was hot and I was thirsty, but I was also keen to make it in time for the Community Garden Wheelbarrow Exhibition at the Woosh Gallery. Woosh is a pop-up exhibition space in a car park next to Transition Dundee's West End Community Fridge. The exhibition was a lovely way of linking the Dundee's Art Night and the Garden Network Open Day with a generous support of the community fridge which stayed open for the night. In the good old-fashioned tradition of fruit and flower shows of yesteryear, things were spiced up with a healthy dash of friendly competition for the best wheelbarrow prize in several categories. The event was a perfect celebration of the emergence of this network and the joy of coming together to be close to nature to grow and share food, to fix carbon, to support diversity in human and non-human neighbourhoods, as well as their well-being. Here's Manuela de los Rios from Maxwell Centre with her thoughts on the network which she shared in a short documentary by Social Action Inquiry Scotland. I think for me one of the main things is like what we've created is such a joyful, positive kind of, I don't know, group of human beings um, that really like each other and appreciate what, you know, what the others are doing and there's a lot of respect and there's a lot of dignity and the way we operate, I think, is quite caring and sensitive to all our different circumstances and needs. Yeah. I've popped the link to the full documentary for you in the show notes alongside other resources. It's a useful exploration of how the network's been established and its workings now that it's two years old. I also shared the link to the map of all 25 gardens in the network's current website. It's worth checking back early next year as launching their brand new website and an interactive map. I'm not going to lie, looking back on this one day in June has really warmed my heart again. But it's also reminded me that this was in fact the hottest June on record. 
turning into the hottest year on record, not just in Scotland, but across the whole planet. It reminded me of the scientists sounding even more desperate alarm bells than usual in their recent reports released this autumn in the run-up to COP28. Reports full of broken climate records and calls for urgent action on our fossil fuel addiction and for system change to stop as much of the catastrophic climate change as possible. Scientists are scared of what's to come. I'm truly terrified. Is there any hope that we can turn things around in time? Well, my brief visit with the Garden Network gave just a little taste of how communities work locally at the intersection of climate, biodiversity, inclusion and the cost of living crisis, showing that all of these are clearly related. How they work at the intersection of creativity and hands-on action, showing that one cannot be done without the other. How this work is amplified by the intersection of multiple networks and organisations, local, regional and even global. It's no surprise that this grassroots energy in Dundee is going well beyond the humble community garden spaces. Some of the partners in the network and long-term community collaborators are behind the Dundee's new Climate Changemakers Hub. It's led by Transition Dundee and includes the Maxwell Centre, Scrap Antics, Opportunity and Creative Dundee. These emergent intersections, this weaving together of communities of place and communities of care, is what gives me hope. In words of Rebecca Solnit, hope that another world might be possible. Not promised, not guaranteed, but possible. Hope that calls for action. That night, another happy intersection at the Wush Gallery meant that I did not have to walk all the way to Tapewood after all. The leader of Dundee Cycling Hub's Art Night Cycle Tour lent me her pump so I could get enough air in my tyre to cycle safely home. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like and share it with others. It'll really help us reach a wider audience. If something exciting is happening in your own community, be sure to let us know so that we can help you tell your own story. You can drop our story weavers a line at stories at scan.scot. It's scan, S-C-C-A-N, dot scot, S-C-O-T. We also offer training and mini-grant support to community storytellers. To keep up to date with our offerings and everything SCAN, check out our website at scan.scot or find us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram or simply sign up to the newsletter.